almost feel a little bad for picking on someone when they're not here, uh, but I'm going to anyway. I'll get over it. Um, no doubt a number of you here today have been approached at some point in time by Todd Turner and had him lead with the question, how's your sense of humor? And you also know that what generally follows is typically a request that will stretch you in some way, shape, or form. By show of hands, um, how many of you came here today expecting to discover the two words? Anybody? All right, a few of you. Um, I, I have a responsibility that I'm supposed to carry out now because I'm understanding that there was some social media activity encouraging you to guess what the two words are. And I'm supposed to reward some of you by random drawing uh, for entering in that participation. Um, I see him standing in the back because da- Damien is such a social media fanatic, I thought he would be a great person to start. So I have a list uh, that I was given, because uh, I chose to abstain, um, a list of people that sent responses in. There were several people who uh, are former attenders who sent responses in, which that's cool too, And uh, but we're going to do a random drawing. Uh, and give a little prize to some of you who participated, not for getting the right answer, but just for trying hard, all right? Um, so, Damien, pick a number between 1 and 14. 11. All right, let me see. Hey, super, 11. I guess you have to be present to win. Uh, so, all right, Bev Clute. Uh, where's Bev hiding? All right. So, Bev, nuts or not? Nuts, all right. Oh. There you go. I'm sorry. I'll edit to you. All right. So, Bev Clute. Oh, Bev. Pick a number between 1 and 14, but not 11. Number 8. Leah Nagy. All right. All right. Nuts or not? Nuts or not? All right. Uh, A number between 1 and 14, not 11, and not 8. 3. Angelina Dickinson, nut or not, nuts or not, not, all right, now, Angie's two words, I did peek, Angie's two words were, I'm pregnant, uh, and whether it's her saying it or me saying it, it changes everything, all right, um, and just so you know, I've been around the block a few times. Angie was going to get a candy bar anyway, because if you're giving away chocolate and you got a pregnant worm ruined in the room. So, all right. All right. So, Angie, uh, let me, let me cross everybody off. There's three. There's, uh, 11 and eight. I know it gets this math's getting harder now. Number between one and 14. Seven. Michelle Robley. She's here, uh, but she's helping down the hall. Oh, she is here. All right. She's in here. Nuts or not? Nuts. All right. Some of the last person is going to, no nuts for them. All right. Michelle, between 1 and 14. 13. Lori Hollenbaugh. Did she make it down here yet? There she is. All right. Super. Thank you, Lori. All right. Hey, thanks for having fun with that. I appreciate that. And, uh, and it's just kind of fun to have uh, do something a little different once in a while. And I appreciate Linda and Cheryl for kind of pulling that together.
So, now back to the task at hand. How's your sense of humor? Are you going to leave here mad if I don't tell you what the two words are? Oh, wow. (laughs) Wasn't prepared for that. Well, just indulge me for just a bit, and and I'm going to delay your gratification. All right. But I will tell you before you leave today. All right. Um, Today I'm going to retell a story from the Bible. Uh, just to make a simple point. Um, I don't usually like to put you on the spot because I don't ever want to embarrass you if I talk about a Bible story and you've never heard it and I want you to feel bad because you haven't heard it. But I'm going to go out on a limb today. By show of hands, um, how many of you have heard about the story of Noah and the ark? Oh, so much for knocking your socks off with my creativity. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to retell that familiar story. Um, it's largely encapsulated in Genesis chapter 6 through 9. And, and just, I, I've been kind of lighthearted. But hear me clearly right now. Going back to the title, two words that change everything when the going gets tough. I know that some of you have an intensely real and personal relationship with the concept of when the going gets tough. No doubt, some of you are there this very moment. And as I talk about what I'm about to talk about, it is not my intent in any way to minimize how much it hurts to be in that place. I don't want to trivialize that in any way, shape, or form. Because when it's your tough spot, it's your tough spot. And nobody else hurts the way you hurt because it's your tough spot. But I invite you to consider with me for just a few moments the reality of that familiar Bible story. Again, sometimes we hear it since we're children And we become so familiar with it that the magnitude of it doesn't really sink in. And I know some of you have been to the Ark Encounter, and and, and that may influence some of your perception as as far as what I'm going to say. But but I want you to think about where this story starts. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, the Bible tells us, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Now, friends, I'll probably say this again. Sometimes I get discouraged by the state of the world around me. I sometimes feel like the darkness is getting darker. Well, the truth of the matter is, dark is dark. But but that's how I feel sometimes. And, And then I look at this. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil. Every inclination of the human heart was only evil all the time. Friends, can I just ask you, can the going get any tougher than that? kind of makes me step back and wonder. 
as indicated by your show of hands, we understand that Noah was completely surrounded by absolute wickedness to the point that God is ready to wipe everything and everyone off from the face of the earth. And again, I say, if it's that bad, I'm just going to shake up my etch-a-sketch. Some of you know, don't even know what an etch-a-sketch is. That was foolish. I'm just going to wipe the slate clean. You don't know what a slate is. I'm just going to clear my screen and, and start over. That's tough when you preach for 40 years and the world changes around you. I, but friends... Can it get any worse than that? God says, this is just so bad. I, the only thing I can do is just start over. A complete system reboot. Everything. Everyone off the face of the earth. Can it, can it get any tougher than that? Because as the Bible puts it, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people. Now, I'm not going to diminish Noah in... Did I say Moses? I'm not going to diminish Noah in any way, shape, or form. But based on the description in Genesis 6, verse 5, about how bad things were, it wouldn't take a whole lot to look good. But the Bible tells us that God looked at Noah, and he saw that he was a righteous man, blameless among the people. So God decides to spare him and his immediate family. He instructs them to build a giant boat. Now, to the best of my knowledge from Scripture, Noah had never built a boat before. Not even a little rowboat, or a canoe, or a kayak. We don't even read that he had sat on a log and paddled it. All right? God says, I want you to build a giant boat. And we're talking giant boat. He's going to build this boat by hand, with no blueprints other than what God tells him in Scripture, no power tools, no power equipment, and no Home Depot. You want something, you go to the forest and you hack it down and you whittle it to what you want it to be or need it to be. Now, friends, this is a project that takes years, if not decades, for someone, to our knowledge, had never built a boat before. And, and I think about that, and I say, can it get any tougher than that? Imagine something you know nothing about. And God coming to you and saying, I want you to start tomorrow. I'm not going to give you any tools or any materials to work with other than what you can scrounge for yourself. And I want you to accomplish this project. And the future of the entire human race depends on it. Can it get any tougher than that? Constructing a giant boat in the middle of dry ground, preparing for a huge flood, when, by the way, it had never rained before. And nobody, but nobody, understands what you're doing. Now, again... Just imagine if you went home today and you went out in your backyard and you started building a rocket ship. 
All right, you never built a rocket ship before. You don't have any blueprints. And your neighbors come by and say, hey there, Steve, what you doing? Well, I'm building a rocket ship because God said he wants me to build a rocket ship, take my wife and my daughters and my sons-in-law and fly to Mars and start a new colony. Yeah, tell me what my neighbors would be thinking about that. Huh? It, it, by the way, if you're doing that, I didn't mean to offend you. Okay. I, I, um, but friends, can it get any tougher than that? There's a pattern here in case you haven't picked up on it. Then, loading the boat with two of every kind of living creature. Many species of which didn't really get along in the first place. Talk about herding cats. <laughs> and not to mention, you also got to fill it with something to feed all those critters. Uh, again, it's like, if, if I'm Noah, I'm thinking, every step I take, this just keeps getting harder. Can it get any tougher than this? You know, he probably, you know... If he made the audacity, had the audacity to say that, it's like he challenged God. Can it get any tougher than this? God says, oh, yeah, let me tell you what's next. Can it get any tougher than that? Oh, yeah, let me tell you what's coming next. And, and so now, just, just stretch yourself and think about you've, you've built this boat in dry ground. No water around. You've, Herded up all these animals, and people just, they gotta be thinking you're nuts. You've hoarded all these supplies, and now you have to get in the boat. It hasn't rained yet. Not even a mist or a sprinkle. You get into the boat, trusting that God will close the door for you, and seal it so it doesn't leak. Why that matters, you don't even understand yet. And then watching while the rain comes. Now, again, we, we know the story, but just, just try to think about it for a moment. Some of you have seen images of this. But it starts to rain. And you're in here watching everything and everyone you have ever known except for your immediate family destroyed, washed away, drowning in this water that just doesn't stop. Now, there is no scripture to back this up, but human nature suggests that there was probably more than one person who came banging on the door. And hey, buddy, <laughs> remember when you were building that boat and I loaded you my hammer? Uh, I mean, you think about it. If you're desperate to survive and you see something that may help, you're going to go just bonkers trying to get a hold of that. At least I assume. That's not scriptural, but human nature tells me there's a pretty strong survival instinct. (laughs) It goes without saying. Can it get any tougher than that? Then... Day after day after day. Week after week after week. 
month after month after month. Locked on a boat with a handful of people. Can we just be honest? They're family. They probably got on each other's nerves once in a while. Because sometimes that's what family does. Especially if you're locked in a confined space. It's not like you can go for a walk and take the rowboat for a while. Locked on a boat with a handful of people. And a bunch of animals who expect to be fed and who make animal noises and make animal messes and just reality. Day after day, week after week, month after month, wondering, are we ever going to get off this boat? Wondering if the supplies will last? Friends, I, I have to believe that Noah looked around every day. And maybe it was like Elisha. Excuse me, I just tried to spit on Susie. Uh, maybe it was like Elijah and Elisha where every time they took a scoop of grain out, it kind of filled back in and it was there. I don't, I don't know. But again, I don't want to project my anxiety onto Noah, but I'd have been concerned. Are we going to run out of food? Are we going to run out of people food? What? Day after day. I have to believe, and maybe he was such a man of faith that I can't comprehend it. But but from my limitations, I have to think, do you suppose there was ever a time as it's raining and the boat's rocking and the animals are making noises and your family's grumbling at you, that Moses, or Moses, I keep wanting to do that, that, that Noah had a quiet moment and he thought, I, I wonder if I really heard right. I, I wonder if I really heard from God. Or if they looked out from time to time and wondered as they looked at just nothing but water, wondering what's there going to be if we do get off this boat. I, I hope it goes without saying by now. But can the going get any tougher than that? Again, I don't want to trivialize your pain nor my own pain. But I have to say, yes, the going in my life at times has been tough. There are times that I felt it was almost more than I could bear. But I have to concede, it has never been Noah in the ark tough. It just hasn't. Whether you've never heard the story before, or if you like are like me, you've heard it, you've taught it, you've told it, you've retold it, the story of Noah and the ark. There are two words that often escape our attention, and they change everything. Not yet, I was teasing you. Genesis 7:24. It says the waters flooded the earth for a hundred and fifty days. A hundred and fifty days. It just keeps coming and coming and coming and coming. And then that's the last verse in chapter seven. And then the first two words 
of chapter 8. But God. But God. It actually goes on in verse 1 to say, but God remembered Noah, and then it goes on to describe. And from that but God moment, everything began to change. The water stopped coming down. The water stopped coming up. The wind began to blow in a helpful fashion and began to help to dry up the water. And everything changed. Friends, what I want you to grasp is that those two words, as you guys showed from your social media, there are a lot of words that change everything. But those two words in Scripture are so many times words of hope and possibility. When the going gets tough, or if the going is tough right now, I encourage you to remember Noah's but God moment and let that inspire you to pray for and to look for your own but God moments. Just a little background. This series was inspired um, by a book that I read a few months back with the title of Survive or Thrive. Now, don't run out and buy that book because I'm talking about it because it's really specifically targeting those who are in uh, vocational ministry. But in that book, uh, the author, and it's just maybe out of 300 and some pages, it's maybe uh, two pages, he, he talked about this concept of but God, and he told a couple of but God stories. And, and I had never looked at that before. And so I made a mental note as I was reading to come back to that idea. Sorry about that. And eventually I made time to do a word study on that phrase. And I have to say, what I found was very refreshing and very surprising. And it gave birth to this idea for the series. Now, I use some different Bible study software. Most of it's free. I think a Bible gateway. And, and I, and I started in one translation and it was kind of, it was kind of, most of what I will be using is from the NIV, not because it's perfect or anything of that nature. Um, but what I did was I also went and I did the same word search, search for that phrase, but God. And then I did it in different translations. And sometimes I found things in one translation that weren't in another translation. But so many times it brought me back to that idea. Not every time that the Bible uses the phrase, but God. But time and time again, I found that radical change followed that phrase, but God. Over the next four weeks, we're going to look at some more of those passages. And I encourage all of you to... Think back from this filter about some of the but God stories in your past where God has stepped in and changed things. And hopefully it will be a great inspiration for you to think, you know, I I totally missed that. But it really was a but God moment. And I think we're going to create some opportunities for maybe some of you to share some of those stories. But I encourage you, at the same time that you look back, I encourage you to look around 
and to be praying for yourself to experience but God moments in your present circumstances. Friends, you may not be Noah in the ark bad, but I suspect there isn't a person here who doesn't have somewhere in our lives that a but God intervention would be a nice thing. All right? So I invite you to start praying, God, bring but God moments into my life and give me the ability to see them when they show up. Because sometimes they show up and we don't even get it at the time. And then the other thing is, whether it's an official forum or it's a casual conversation, talk to others about your but God story. You may have a story like Noah that somebody needs to hear. You may have just a pretty simple, seemingly benign story that is a but God moment that somebody needs to hear. But in the next few weeks, we're going to talk about when life seems unfair. There's a couple of great but God stories. When the path is unclear, but God. When in doubt, but God. When it matters most, but God. Like I said, it doesn't take much to amaze me. I I will concede that. But but when I did that word study and I started reading through all those passages, it's like, Steve, how could you not have seen this before? For those of you who are here today and you're in a when the going gets tough season, I want to leave you with just a couple more kind of, not random because they're not random, but just a couple more but God passages that I hope will inspire and encourage you. Psalm 9, verse 18. But God will never forget the needy. The hope of the afflicted will never perish. Friends, that's not just talking about financial need. That's talking about relational need. That's talking about spiritual need. It's talking about emotional need. And it is talking about material need. Understand, if the going's tough because you're needy, and there's no crime in saying, I'm needy. Maybe a crime if you accuse somebody else of being needy, but but there's, there's no shame in feeling, I'm afflicted. But God will never forget the needy. Psalm 23, verse 26. Wow. It, it strikes a chord for me. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there now. My heart and my, excuse me, my flesh and my heart may fail. My emotional strength, my physical strength, they may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Oh, how I wish I could have that be the first thing that comes to mind when I face challenges. I I encourage you, tuck that away. You may not need it today. I, I pray you never need it. 
It's good to have if you do. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Next one's from Philippians chapter 2. And just a little background. Uh, some of you understand that Paul, Paul is writing and he's in jail. He's in chains for sharing the gospel. And he's writing a letter to a church in a town called Philippi. And, and apparently what has happened is the church at Philippi has, has sent someone named Epaphroditus to help Paul while he's being held in change because because it wasn't necessarily like it is today if you're in jail the the government takes care of you sometimes you're if you're in chains other people that care about you still have to provide for you and so this is kind of the background and paul writes to the church at philippi but i think it's necessary to send back to you epaphroditus my brother co-worker and fellow soldier who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs so in other words i'm I'm glad you sent him, but it's time for him to come home. And Paul continues, he says, For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. So in other words, the people of Philippi sent Epaphroditus to go take care of Paul, and then they got word that Epaphroditus, who's there to take care of Paul, is sick himself. And Epaphroditus is concerned because they're concerned for him. What a cool thing. It's like everybody's looking to take care of everybody. So, Paul acknowledges this, and then verse 27. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Don't you just love that? I'd have felt terrible if the guy died because he's here taking care of me. So God helped you, he helped Epaphroditus, and he helped me. But God. Now I want to say something, and again, I, I, I can't say it any more strongly. I hope that it goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. When the going gets tough for you, I cannot guarantee you that you will have a but God moment. I wish I could. I wish it was a magic formula that, you know, Anytime you had a problem, you just say, oh, but God, and it goes away. I, I can't promise that. But I can guarantee that if you do have a but God moment, everything will change. May not mean the circumstances go away, but things will change, because that's the way God does things. And I will say to you, while I cannot, and I would not be foolish enough to guarantee that it'll happen, Based upon what I've seen from Scripture as I did this study, but God moments are far more, far more common than I had ever noticed until I went looking for them. And my prayer is that this will be true for you as well. This is not directly related, but it is indirectly related to what I just said. Uh, a couple things I want to say that were inspired by some training that I went to yesterday. And before I close in prayer and call us back to but God moments, um, I, as your pastor, I'm going to read most of this. I just want to apologize to you for two things. You may have a long list, but these are the two I'm going to hit. 
I want to apologize because I've not given you as a congregation enough credit. I have told myself a lie that there are sometimes a lack of motivation or willingness for us to make time available to participate in spiritual growth opportunities. Because I chose to believe that lie, I have been reluctant to provide adequate opportunities or study options for you. And I will say to you, I don't know what it'll look like to fix that, but I will be consulting with the LBA to try to rectify that. And I apologize for not giving you enough credit for your motivation. That was just my short-sightedness. The second thing that I have to say is probably even more uncomfortable. I have been woefully negligent in teaching you about the importance of prayer, in challenging you to learn how to pray more effectively, and in providing opportunities for us to pray together as a body. Both with the studies and with prayer, I allowed myself to be distracted by thinking if it wasn't a whole bunch of folks, it wasn't something we needed to be doing, and that's wrong. So I I apologize for that. Um, I don't know fully what it will look like for us to fix this, but I'm going to start with some small steps. And please understand, they're not perfect solutions, but I, I felt I needed to start somewhere. Starting next Sunday at 9.15, I will be spending from 9.15 to 9.45 in the blue room in the children's wing uh, praying. And I invite any of you who are interested to come and join me, come in for a bit, go back out. I, I, don't, I don't have an agenda. I don't care. And... I know that some of you on the worship team, this excludes you. Some of you are teaching, it excludes you. I get that. But I felt like I needed to do something. And that seemed like a simple way to start. I I don't know how long we'll do that, uh, but I'm going to start. And when I feel like God is telling me we're done doing that, or when we find a better alternative, or a second alternative, or whatever else, we will reevaluate it. But again, I invite you to join me. Uh, I'm going to do it anyway for as long as I can sustain it, or God can sustain me in sustaining it. Uh, It means you may have to come early. Um, We'll figure stuff out as we go. But I I just felt like I needed to do something, and we will be looking for other options, and I'm open to your input um, to see what we can do without uh, totally uh, blowing my schedule out of the water. The other thing that I'm going to do, and I'm not sure if any of the, the leaders are in here, I think a couple of them are, is I'm going to contact those or be in contact with those who are responsible for our small groups and our Bible studies. And in addition to what they're already doing, and maybe they already do this, and shame on me if I don't fully understand that, but I'm going to ask our small groups and Bible studies that meet uh, during the course of the month, I'm going to ask them collectively to just within their group begin to cultivate a list or perpetuate a list of individuals that need a real personal life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm going to challenge them at each time they gather for study to pray for those on that list by name. Um, 
to me, again, as I looked at where we start with a focus upon prayer, those who need that real personal life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ seems like the most reasonable place to start. And so, uh, again, I don't know what it's going to look like. Um, I, I usually like to have everything all figured out before I say anything. Uh, but when I came, actually before I even got home yesterday, I felt very strongly impressed. I may be totally missing the mark, but I felt like I need to take those steps. So, continuing on the topic of prayer and getting back to but God, two words that change everything. I have just a tiny inkling based on my years of experience that the more we pray individually and the more we pray together, the more but God moments we will see. And so here, there, wherever, partner with me. Let's pray now. Father, I don't have a fancy or elaborate prayer and I don't think you expect one. I just pray that you'll open our hearts and you'll open our minds. And you'll open our eyes. Open our, open us up to see and do what you want us to see and do. Father, I pray desperately as I have been for those in this room and those listening and those we represent who are in tough times and need to see a but God moment. I pray that they would begin to sense that before the sun sets today. But if it doesn't, that they'll be like Noah, expecting it the next day and the next day until they see it. And for those for whom it doesn't seem to come, I pray that you will be more than enough, like the words we read from Psalms. But Father, I ask that you will stir in our midst that you'll do a fresh work of your spirit in our individual hearts and in our corporate heart. And then we might look back someday and see that uh, we as a church had a but God moment, and it, and it started today. You can do this, Father. We can't. So we ask that you would move in our midst. Thank you, Father. Amen.